Welcome back to After the Buzzer. This is our fourth episode, and we want to thank everyone who has tuned in so far. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review. From Apple Podcasts, go to Ratings and Reviews section of our podcast. If you're listening on Stitcher, go to stitcher.com and search for the After the Buzzer to leave us a review. We appreciate your feedback and look forward to bringing more great commentary on sports and business. Just like we will today with our fantastic guests, two highly respected counsels for professional sports teams in three different sports. They are two of the highest ranking female sports executives, Nona Lee and Vicki Neumeyer. Nona is Senior Vice President and Chief Legal Officer for Major League Baseball's Arizona Diamondbacks and has just completed her 19th season with the club. Nona's achievements have included negotiating DBAC's media and facility construction agreements and assisting the Baseball Operations Department with the preparation and presentation on salary arbitration matters. Nona is well respected both in the Phoenix area and nationally. She is a board member for Arizona State University Sports Law and Business Program and the founder of the Phoenix Women's Sports Association, a nonprofit whose mission is to help girls and women find their power through sports. Nona is nearing the end of her term as president of the Sports Lawyers Association and has served on the Women's Sports Foundation, which was founded by tennis great Billie Jean King. Vicki Neumeyer is a senior vice president and general counsel for the NFL's New Orleans Saints and the NBA's New Orleans Pelicans, both organizations owned by the Benson family. Vicki provides legal consultation and services to both clubs and has done so since 2000 with the Saints and later for the NBA Pelicans. She is responsible for drafting key documents, including leases, sponsorship, and broadcast agreements. As a member of two franchises' front office, her counsel is always sought in identifying and analyzing business and legal issues. Vicki has extensive experience in sports law, including antitrust, labor, and organizational matters. Prior to her sports career, Vicki worked in the Exxon Corporate Litigation Department and served as a judicial clerk for the Supreme Court of Louisiana. Vicki sits on the boards of the Texas Gulf Coast and Louisiana Make-A-Wish Foundation and the Louisiana chapter of the Girl Scouts. She's a member of the Arizona State University Sports Law Program and is also a member of the Board of Directors of the Sports Lawyers Association. In this week's episode, Vicki and Nuna talk to me about their careers and backgrounds. Hint, one of them was a college athlete and one of them claims to have no athletic skill whatsoever. The issues they deal with as team general counsel including big data and the legal and business implications of streaming broadcasts, their approach to being senior-level executives in male-dominated sports, and what the future might look like for aspiring women wanting to enter the sports world. Here is my conversation with Vicki and Nona. Well, I'll go alphabetically, and I'll start with Nona. And Nona, tell me a little bit about your role as general counsel of the Arizona Diamondbacks. My primary responsibility is really leading the legal department and supporting the executive team essentially you know, handling all major legal issues for the organization, managing outside counsel relationships uh, when appropriate to do so, and otherwise just guiding my staff. How, how big is your legal staff at the Diamondbacks? Well, our department is five or six people, depending on the time of year. Um, we have three attorneys, myself, our general counsel, Caleb J., our Associate General Counsel, Maka Scott. Um, typically, we have an intern. Right now, I'm actually hiring, looking for a paralegal. And we also have our uh, legal assistant who's been with us for several years. Do you find that you're trying to bring stuff more in-house or are you still relying on outside counsel a lot? 
No, we've really brought most things in-house. Our project list averages between the three lawyers about 400 projects at any given time because we do handle the majority of the issues internally. What we do outsource, aside from insurance defense, which you would expect, is protracted matters and matters requiring special expertise. Vicki, how about you? How, uh, tell me a little bit about your role, and, and if you think it's appropriate to differentiate between your role as the Saints General Counsel and as the Pelican General Counsel, and is there a difference in those two? Um, I would actually reiterate a lot of the things that Nona said. Our legal department is just myself and an associate attorney, who's Matthew Sharp, who's been here maybe three years now. So because of that, we do outsource probably a whole lot more, and we try to do as much in-house as possible. You know, a lot of our work is going to be risk assessment, um, risk identification, and then trying to do things the right way. And they're really, I've not seen really any difference between the two my job can be the same for the Saints or the same for the Pelicans. It's making sure all the contracts are in places and we're living with all league rules and all you know applicable laws and trying to keep up with changes in technology, actually. That's probably our biggest challenge right now. So when you walk in the door on a, any mm-hmm. given day, do you know whether you're going to deal with Pelican business or Saints business? <laughs> or what, how do you do that? I, I have no clue. You should see my desk. There are post-it notes all over the place, and that has a Saints line, a Pelicans line, and then the Benson family have a lot of other entities that I also am involved with, so it can be anything. So how long have they owned the Pelicans? I think it was um, June of 2012. Do you find, I know there are a few other NFL owners that own uh, franchises in other leagues. Is is this a unique situation where, I mean, I know your president oversees a lot of the operations of both franchises as long as your general right. manager. Is this is this different, the same, or what? Um, I find it's been pretty much the same. The management team is, is the same over both entities, although when it comes to certain things like corporate sponsorship, Ticket sales, community appearances, youth programs, and that then you know we differentiate. But most of the other people that I know that are in a similar situations, it's pretty much the same setup. Right. And Nona, you, you, you some of your prior experiences where you work for multiple organizations in different sports. Do you find it the same, different? Um, yeah, you know, I, I would echo Vicky's experience. I mean, you know, again, on a daily basis, you never knew what you were going to get. And, you know, you had to learn to handle matters differently, somewhat depending on what the league rules were for each of the different sports. But, you know, it's all largely, you know, at least with respect to team sports, it's very similar. It's just knowing the different rules of the different leagues. So speaking of the the leagues and, and the various teams, we're talking about three different leagues here, you know, the NBA, uh, the NFL, and Major League Baseball. Do you see some differences in how those leagues relate to their teams? And, and what is the preferable method, if you're comfortable enough saying that? Um, for me, I don't see a lot of differences, candidly, in how I in any way interact with both leagues and how the leagues interact with the teams. You know, there's there's a desire to have a quick response from the league if a club has a question and good customer service, so to speak. Um, everybody has to you know, live by the CBA and by the big fat book of league policies and what have you, and then lay over the top of that, you know, your local law. So um, I can pick up the phone and talk to NFL counsel or NBA counsel, and and it's pretty similar. 
Nona, how about uh, Major League Baseball? You know, I think each league is probably a little different, and that's driven largely by, you know, the team owners and perhaps by the demographics of the leagues in terms of how they conduct their ongoing business. But largely it's the same. Um, I work strictly with MLB now and have for several years, but I don't recall any significant differences when I was working with Major League Baseball and uh, the NBA several years ago. I think it's it's all pretty well aligned. You've been involved since there's been a change in commissioners. Have you, do you see a, a difference in uh, the style of Bud Selleck as opposed to Rob Manford? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's certain they're different guys, and and uh, times are changing, and I think priorities are changing, um, and there have been some changes. I think there have to be as the you know, generations change, and the priorities and expectations of fans change, and. And technology changes, and so yeah, I think there certainly have been some changes since the commissioners have changed. So you both have mentioned technology in your answers. What are the technologies that are making a difference in the way you represent your teams, or the issues that technology has made you confront? Nona, you want to start? You know, streaming obviously has has been huge because, you know, the way that people are consuming the product is changing. And so that's not necessarily impacting us directly as a club because, you know, I talked before about some of the differences between the leagues. And with respect to baseball, uh, Major League Baseball Advanced Media holds all interactive media rights for the clubs. But it's something that certainly impacts the way we think about doing business and the way we do do business to some extent and how we think about that going on a going forward basis. Right. Here in St. Louis, with streaming, you know, St. Louis is a very popular baseball town. And when they put the baseball games on Facebook only, it created quite an uproar here in St. Louis. We wanted to see our games on Fox or ESPN and the, the, the older generation, which I guess I'm now part of, didn't really like that, uh, just streaming it live. I think that's the tension that we're seeing and, you know, the changing of the guard, so to speak, and, and you know, baseball in particular trying to stay relevant, you know, with a, a new generation that is attached to technology and likes faster-paced action, so to speak. Vicki, how about in the NFL technology? How is that affecting yeah. what you do? Is it, is it social media? Is it uh, streaming? Yeah. It is, from my perspective, anyway, on the club level, it's, it, and I'd say both leagues, uh, social media, and just trying to keep up with what is the newest social platform, and where can we get the most engagement for our fans, and where can we deliver the best content, and data collection is another big, big area, and what can you collect, and when you do collect it, what can you do with it? Um, how long can you keep it? And there's a lot of policing and oversight that's, you know, involved with that. Trying to go to paperless tickets, and I'm old school. I've got hard copy, you know, contract books. I have them all electronically, but I'd like to feel the paper and go and get my contract book and flip through things or my policy book or what have you. And, you know, there's a lot to be said from the with the younger people coming in and, you know, they want to go to you know, the barcode on your phone to get into the building instead of hard tickets or even PDF tickets that you can send to somebody in print. Um, and we've got a good chunk of our season ticket holder base, especially on the Saints side, who, you know, want that hard ticket. They come into the ticket office and they pay for their tickets and they don't want to deal with email and have an account manager and do whatever changes they have to do electronically. They'd much rather come in and talk to a person. 
So, you know, those are some balances there to having to do it both ways, kind of old school and new. Yeah, I mean, at one point, tickets and the printing of tickets was a big deal for teams. We used to try to make them pretty because everybody wanted their tickets. Now, as you just said, the young people want their tickets on their phone. They just want to be able to put it on a monitor and walk into the stadium. They don't want to have to worry about it. The whole exchange of tickets, all of that is, has come into play. Uh, well, both of you talked about a little bit about how your demographic has changed a little bit, how your crowds and your fans are younger. They want things to happen more fast. Address what you think that means for the future of your sports, uh, the changing dynamic? Well, for baseball, I think, you know, the commissioner is already addressing it to some extent, you know, with respect to pace of play and and with the league looking at different ways that fans consume the product and figuring out ways that baseball can be relevant to a generation that has very different focus. Um, so, you know, I know they're looking at that. The clubs look at At least I can speak for the Diamondbacks. I know that we look at that regularly in terms of how can we connect with our fans in a way that's relevant. What is meaningful to this new generation? You know, how do we get and keep their attention? And so, you know, it's, it's you know, not cut and dry. It's an ongoing exploration, so to speak. Uh, and it's, it's going to take time. It's going to be shifting. Vicky, I know the Saints uh, fan base is, is a very mature fan base, as I, as I remember. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got a lot of people that have been coming to Saints games for years. How are you guys dealing kind of, you know, moving a new generation in as your fan base ages? Along the same lines as what Nona is talking about, again, just, you know, from something as easy as tickets, keeping the commemorative ticket stock that somebody can come in and pick up, but yet making tickets available, you know, by a barcode on your phone and also looking at the the right ways or the new ways. And, and it's constant. It's like every social media update that we have, we typically have them monthly. It's, there's a new platform out there and you're seeing less subscribers on platform A than you did last month because everybody's switching over to, you know, platform B. Trying to stay relevant with that as well as some of the entertainment that, you know, we have in the venue, for instance. Music is is a you can't please everybody, you know. Some want the typical New Orleans sort of jazz. Others want rap, and players have their own music they want. And so, and that's just a very one very small example of how there are so many different ways to try to engage your fans and give everybody a little bit of you know what they're looking for. I'm aging myself. I just would like some quiet when I go to the stadiums. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just just so happen. I can talk to the person I'm sitting next to, just for a minute. So are either one of your uh, entities involved in this, uh, the eSports craze that is happening? No, ours is not, so I'll defer to Vicki. No, no, we have not. We've looked at them, but um, we have not. Neither team has engaged yet. All right, well, one of the reasons I was happy to have both of you on is because I, I really do think you're leaders in terms of pioneers in terms of what you're doing, two of the highest-ranking female executives in, in professional sports. Tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are, uh, and then how are you dealing with being probably a lot of times the only woman in the room? You know, I will say that, first of all, I didn't have any immediate plans to get into sports. I became a litigator initially, and for me, um, I was a former athlete. I uh, played college basketball at Pepperdine. Prior to that, I was an AAU swimmer and water polo player. And frankly, when the WNBA started, all I could think about was how do I merge my practice with my passion? And um, was very lucky to do that in somewhat short order. Uh, first, going to work for outside counsel firm that represented the Diamondbacks, and 
uh, within a couple of months thereafter, having had the opportunity to go in-house with the uh, Phoenix Suns, and at the time the Suns, Diamondbacks, Mercury were all jointly owned. So that's how I got into sports, and, and frankly, it never occurred to me that being a woman was an issue at all with respect to being in professional sports or being a lawyer or anything else. I, I don't approach things that way. Um, I, and I get asked the question a lot, and, you know, my approach has been if I don't make the fact that I'm a woman an issue, usually no one else does. I just approach my job and my practice as being a good lawyer, being a good practitioner. And so um, that being said, have there been some challenges from time to time? Yes, because, you know, my approach to this notwithstanding, not everyone approaches it the same way, and um, it's gotten better over the years. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it is a male-dominated sport, and people tend to get used to playing in the sandbox with the people they're used to playing in the sandbox with. But what I'm happy to say is that I've seen a tremendous shift over the years, um, and we see so many, at least I do, so many more general counsel or women lawyers in sports now, for example, um, when we go to uh, the Major League Baseball Club Council meetings, which are coming up next month, I'm always struck now by how many women there are in the room. And I haven't counted, but I easily say there's half. And, you know, happy to see the numbers are growing. Before you expanded on your, your answer there, I was going to call you on the fact that you're saying that you didn't feel that there was any tension by being a woman and that you have never had to sort of stand somebody up and say, wait, hold on a second. We're going to no. deal with it this way. No, and, and, and I, I have, I'm not saying it's been a perfect world. As I said, there have been, so I'm just, I never made it an issue. I never, I, you know, I, I get the question a lot with, especially young women saying, well, you know, have you had challenges? Is it okay? Is it difficult? And I just never let even the concept of that enter my mind. It's never been a concern for me that it would be a challenge. Has it been one from time to time? Yes, it has been. And what I've done is continue to put my best foot forward, stand in my, my strength and be who I am, be the best practitioner that I can be, and demonstrate that I belong there. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be here. Have you noticed any difference? You know, the NBA is always characterized as the league that is a little bit more forward-thinking than the other sports leagues. Uh, Ken Shropshire and I were talking on one of our podcasts about the front offices of or the top management in, in those leagues, and Major League Baseball is not very diverse, where the NBA has always been more diverse. Do you notice some differences in that? Well, I think, you know, you can look at the demographics and they, they speak for themselves. But what I can say is that I think Major League Baseball is doing a great job of shifting the paradigm within the league, starting at the top. And they're investing a lot in making that happen. It doesn't happen overnight. But I know that the league's very focused on it. I know that our organization's very focused on it. I know Internally, I focus on it. I mean, my department just won a, an award for corporate diversity for our department because it's so diverse. But, um, you, you know, I think it takes focus across the league, across the teams, and it's changing. But certainly, you know, it's not where the NBA is or the WNBA is. But I think it, it'll get there with focused effort, and it certainly has that now. Vicki, do you notice a change in NFL meetings with the, the number of women that are participating at, at oh, meetings? Oh, well, definitely. Yeah, there we had NFL council meetings in May, and all of the legal staffs from each team were invited. And in looking as well at the NFL staff itself, the number of women has grown by leaps and bounds. In the NBA as well, if you look at their front office staff, 
and then also club council. And just looking at the membership, even at the Sports Lawyers Association, when you look at the the two leagues and who they send or the individual clubs, there's, the number of women is amazing. Good. Well, that's progress. Although, uh, mm-hmm. no, I may I may take you up on that. It's, uh, change doesn't happen overnight. We've been a lot longer than overnight uh, in terms of changing this in leagues and, and diversity and giving people opportunities for uh, to show what they can do. I, you know, I had a long discussion at our last sports lawyers meeting with someone from Major League Baseball who was saying that she didn't believe that the Major League Baseball's Rooney Rule work because the teams were just checking a box and they weren't giving people an opportunity and she thought what baseball needed was more of a remedial program so that uh, and and I my argument was is that Nona Lee doesn't need a remedial program she just needs an opportunity Uh, right and Mm -hmm. so I I think that there yes we have made some progress but I still think there's there's a long way to go is there a glass ceiling for women in the four major male sports Vicki I've, I'll be honest, I have not encountered one. Um, maybe I'm lucky or maybe that's just the actuality out there. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there are certain areas that I'm not involved in. I mean, I don't walk into the locker room, you know, after a practice and nor do I want to. Um, I guess if I needed to, I could and I'd feel comfortable doing it. Just obviously because the, the sports themselves from the athlete perspective is male dominated. You know, you run into that, but from the business side of things, I don't see a glass ceiling. Have you and noticed I've, a difference I've, now that you have a, a, a woman owner, Mrs. Benson's taking over? Um, you know, she's been involved, and in, she was at Mr. Benson's side every day for the 14 years they were married. So she's had input during that entire time. It's been about six months now since Mr. Benson passed, and uh, she's taken over, you know, stepped right in and has done a phenomenal job and, and wonderful at being available, going to, you know, she went to the Pelicans game Friday night, the Pelicans game Saturday night. We flew up to Minnesota for the Saints game on Sunday. I came back from there, but she went from there to Denver to take on the Pelicans game again last night. So you talk about you know definitely getting immersed in it. I don't think there's been really enough time to say whether there'll be you know those sort of changes. I don't know that we actually need them. Mr. Benson was pretty um, he was old school, but still uh, you know revolutionary in his own way. Some of the discussion that you hear in, in the political realm these days is that, you know, with more women running for offices, is that women approach problems differently uh, than men. Do you see that? Is there a way that, that you analyze a problem uh, from, you know, differently than a man? Or do you see a different kind of culture that a woman can, uh, you know, enable in an organization? A lot of my job is negotiating and handling disputes, obviously. So I think I bring more to the table at work from being a mother than being a woman (laughs) Um, or being a parent, I should say, and knowing how to kind of, like Nona said before, make everybody play nicely in in the sandbox. And, you know, I used to say life is too short to get all, you know, upset about things and negative, but somebody actually said to me life is too long to spend it in a negative kind of funk like that. So just, it maybe sounds cliche, but, you know, try kindness, go talk to somebody, work something out and, you know, see what you can get with that first. And I don't know if that's a woman's perspective of my perspective or a parent perspective or what, but it, it works. No, no, no. You think that's a woman's perspective or a parent's perspective or just the, the right perspective? Well, I think it's just the right perspective. I mean, I, 
That, that's the beauty of diversity. I mean, you know, your perspective, Bob, as an African-American man, you bring that to the table on how you conduct business as a lawyer, and, you know, I do the same. And, and that's the beauty and the importance of diversity. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, you bring you, the, the, the sum total of your experiences to the conversation, and it's vitally important that we all do that to the extent that my perspective is that of an you know, African-American woman, then, yeah, I bring that to the table. Is it intentionally just as that? No, it's because it's who I am and it's part of what I do. So, I think you're seeing that more in colleges these days, even in acceptance, you know, um, protocols and procedures. There's a more holistic approach. You know, it's not just all you, what your transcripts are, your ACT score, and I think businesses are bringing that to the table as well. It's It's important to know what somebody's experience has been for their discrete responsibilities in the building, but it's also important to see what the person is all about and, and to look at the person in um, a holistic manner. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I'm a firm believer in, in uh, diversity because I, I think it makes people think about what they're about to say, think about how they're going to approach a problem, think about how, what effect that might have on or the person sitting next to you who may be different than you and may view it something, may view this problem in a different manner. So I, I think that the diversity, more than just for the look, is also very important for the perspective that it's going to bring to a, a particular set of issues. So tell me, if you were a uh, young Vicki Newmeyer, what would you say to yourself? Uh, not that you're old. But what, uh, <laughs> oh, but I am. What, what advice would you pass on to yourself of, uh, if you, if you would have known – 15 years ago, what you know now, what what would that be? You know, it would be just kind of uh, baby steps and, you you know, you'll get through it. Don't take it all too seriously or don't take yourself too seriously. Um, My daughter is is 15 and consumed with what she should do when she's out of college and, you know, and I was like, you just just don't need to plan it all. And, And, you know, maybe you need somewhat of a direction, but that plan and that road needs to have some curves in it and some flexibility because this is a second career of mine and I would have never anticipated. So it's more just, again, it sounds cliche, but it's, you know, enjoy the ride. (laughs) Right. I didn't ask you, Vicki, but how did did you get to the Saints from, from your prior career? Well, I am not at all like now. I am not an athlete. I, I often tell college students I can barely play solitaire, much less any kind of sport <laughs> that you know requires you to walk around. But yet, I always did want to work in sports. Uh, once I got into law school, and so I was an audiologist in in a different lifetime, and just decided to maybe see what this law school was all about. And uh, once I got into that, and took a couple of sports law classes. As electives, realized you actually could work in sports and as a lawyer. And then, again, just kind of tenacity that got me to where I am today. I actually started as an unpaid intern in the marketing department for the Saints. but And I'd been practicing law for about 15 years at the time, but I decided, you know, getting wow. my foot in the door at some point, some way, and just having the experience was well worth it for me. And that developed to where I am today. Yeah. Nona, how about you? What, what advice would you give to a young Nona Lee? Don't be afraid to fail. You know, so, mm-hmm. yeah, so often, you know, particularly I, I have a propensity trying to be a bit of a perfectionist, and that can really get in your way, you know. And, and as I've gotten older, what I've learned is, you know, no one likes to fail, but there is so much value in learning the lessons from the failures, 
and they make you a better person, a better a better lawyer. And, and uh, so to embrace the failures and learn from them. Don't be afraid of them. So I think that's probably good advice for yourself, but I, I'm sure both of you get a lot of young people that come to you and say, I want to be you or I want to do something. What do you tell them to do? I tell them be better than me. <laughs> I tell them, you know, that I, yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, but don't just look at what I do. Think about what you can do and really think about what you want to do and find your passion. And, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, become the best lawyer you can be, first of all, and then connect your, your practice with your passion. But don't limit yourself to someone else's standards. Be everything that you can be to be the best you. If you had a crystal ball, either one of you, is there some aspect of the legal profession and sports that you think will be really, really important five years from now? Uh, it, this is maybe very micro looking, but data, again, just trying to stay in front of it. Technology, again, is moving so rapidly that, you know, once you finally get a policy for something or get a handle on how you're going to handle it, it's passe and, and you have to start over again. And so you really, really need to be forward thinking. No, I agree. I would say technology, um, you know, if you can find a niche in that area, it'll be critical because, you know, we have... Uh, all of the, you know, artificial reality, virtual reality, you know, all of the different forms of technology and esports, and that's the future. I think people who are positioned to play in that arena are going to be well positioned. Well, great. Thank, thank you, guys. I, I, I learned a lot. Uh, I enjoyed having my conversation with you. Nona, you're in the off season, so I guess you can predict that uh, the Diamondbacks are going to be the, <laughs> the World Series champs. They're going to knock the Red Sox off next year. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. You know, we just picked up Paul Goldschmidt's option, so I think we're good. Okay. <laughs> and, Vicki, you're, you're in the middle of the season, and you said you're in Minnesota. I believe you guys beat the Vikings, right? We did, yes. We won up there. We've got a big game. The Saints have a big game coming up against the Rams this Sunday, and then the Pelicans are on a, I forget, four or five-game road swing right now. Nine days they're gone after, you know, starting out pretty strongly. So, I don't right, make predictions. I, 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 I'm just hopeful. <laughs> uh, I, you know, actually, speaking of the Pelicans, I was looking at your box score. Not that I searched the box scores off, but is Anthony Davis hurt? He didn't play the last two games. And right, okay. I, I noticed that. He's, okay, he's got yep. something wrong. Okay, great. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. There you are. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very guys very much. Nona, your your term is I guess you got a couple more months as Sports Lawyers Association president. Has it been a fun period? I have thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm honored to have had the opportunity and we'll look forward to turning it over to Bobby Hacker in May. So I just want to say Nona is, has been the president for the last two years. I think you're the second woman to be the president of the Sports Lawyers Association and the third African-American. So congratulations to you on all of that and the achievements and your leadership that you have provided. Uh, good luck to you guys and thank you for doing this for me. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish, and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.